0: You may want to keep your Bibles open to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. If you don't have your own, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Most of the scripture will be from there. It will be on the screen in different pieces as we cover it, and it's on the sermon notes that are in your worship folder. But to see it all together as Drew just read it, you might want to have your Bibles open. Typically, when a preacher prepares a message, he spends a lot of time and energy trying to determine what is the main point of the passage and what is it that I'm being called to say about it. And uh, that's often, well, it's always (laughs) a struggle for me. Um, But as I went through that process with this passage I realized that Jesus could not have been clearer about what the main points, what is important about this passage. Three times Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. And that is a phrase that Jesus used to say, hey, this is important, and it is absolute truth. In the book of John, which is the book that we're, we're, this passage is from, uh, John records 25 times that Jesus uses that phrase. And that, by the way, that would be a pretty interesting study to just study those 25 times. Uh, we're not going to do that today. Today we're going to focus on this encounter with Nicodemus and these three truths that Jesus shares with us through this encounter with N- Nicodemus. <clears throat> So I can tell you right now, and this is a uh, uh, this is a spoiler alert. If you like to follow along on the sermon notes and fill in as the points as I go, I'm going to tell you right now what the three main points are. The three main points that Jesus said, "Truly, truly, I say to you." Before we get into that, though, um, allow me to just make a couple of preliminary. Observations from the passage. First, notice when the encounter takes place. Verse 2 says, This man came to Jesus by night. Now, there are reasons for that from Nicodemus's perspective. But uh, regardless, this may have not been a convenient time from Jesus' perspective. I don't know about you, but um, I But I suspect that many of you have experienced that call at night or maybe even that knock on the door uh, after you've had a busy day and you may have been looking forward to some relaxation and uh, you didn't particularly want to be bothered. And Jesus is fully human, so he could have felt that way. But I highly doubt that he did because he did not show it. Uh, in fact, I, I can't think of a single encounter with Jesus recorded in Scripture where Jesus just reacted with, Listen, I am too fried. <laughs> Come back tomorrow about 9 a.m. <laughs> Jesus is ready for an encounter with you anytime. Second, uh, notice that Nicodemus didn't even ask a question. In verse 2, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, that's a statement, not a question. Jesus could have responded, Well, thank you very much. Have a good night. But he did not. Instead, he seemed, he seemed to know what was really on Nicodemus' heart, or, or at least what Nicodemus really needed to be confronted with. In fact, uh, just prior to this encounter at the end of John chapter 2, verse 25 says about Jesus, No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Jesus knows what is in your heart. Jesus knows what is in your heart. Now, today, as we consider these three great truths that Jesus drew attention to in this encounter with Nicodemus, my hope is that each of us will have our own encounter with Jesus alongside Nicodemus, because Jesus is ready for that encounter with you, and he knows your heart. As we proceed to do that, let me just use that same expression that Jesus used in an effort to get us focused in on this. Truly, truly, what Jesus has to say to us through this encounter with Nicodemus is the most important truth you will hear your entire life. It is more important than what the oncologist shares about your test results. It is more important than what your girlfriend responds with when you ask her to marry you. It is more important than what the letter you received from the university you applied to contains. It's more important than what your child says to you when they introduce it with, Dad, there's something I need to tell you. As important as those things are, They do not compare. They do not compare to what Jesus has to say to us today. They do not compare because this life does not compare to an eternity in paradise with God. Pastor John Piper had an experience, a frightening experience, where his two young boys were almost killed by an oncoming car. And he found himself praying, as frightening as that was to him, Lord, if there was ever a choice between them staying here with me and having even a moment with you, then take them. Take them. So let us begin with first of these three truths that Jesus prefaced with, truly, truly, I say to to you. After uh, Nicodemus makes his statement in verse 2, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, being religious won't save you. Nicodemus had focused his whole life on seeing the kingdom of God. That is, being with God in paradise for eternity. His whole life is focused on that. That's what a Pharisee does. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Jews are, uh, uh, were taught to see, to, uh, to see the kingdom of God, that you must follow the law. And the law is the Ten Commandments, along with all of the other w- Rules that are communicated in the Old Testament of the Bible, all that additional specific instruction. Uh, and, and when trying to follow the Ten Commandments, though, a lot of questions come up. Uh, for example, what exactly does it mean to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? Well, what the Jews decided was it means that whatever you do to make a living, you don't do on the sabbath and so for, for example if you if your profession has to do with caring for animals you can't have anything to do with animals on the sabbath well what if and what if that happens you can you can what if these things endlessly right and in, that's pretty much what happened um to give you an idea of how intricate the rules became, uh, the Jews eventually developed a book called the Mishnah that defines how the Ten Commandments were to be carried out and applied in daily life, You know, dealing with all these what-ifs. The section of the Mishnah on keeping the Sabbath holy is 24 chapters. Nicodemus and the other Pharisees were... Dedicated to keeping the Ten Commandments. And they were completely devoted to knowing and, uh, and following all of these details about how they were to be applied. So, so Nicodemus probably came to Jesus feeling pretty good about his position in society and, and probably pretty good about his position with God. Because he had done such a good job with those things. And then Jesus tells him, In your current state, Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now remember, Nicodemus didn't even ask a question. Then wham! Jesus hits him with this. And he responds to Jesus with what seems like a silly question How can a man be born when he is old? can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I, I, don't, I don't know that Nicodemus was literally asking that question. Because, you know, Nicodemus is no fool. And that seems like a pretty foolish question. Of course Jesus is not talking about a grown man entering his mother's womb and being born physically a second time. It, it, it could be that Nicodemus was so taken aback by what Jesus said to him, uh, that he just blurted this question out. And what he really was wanting to say was something like, uh, I can imagine it being something like, what? I I don't understand. Tell me more about this. And so Jesus answers him with the second truth he prefaces with truly, truly, I say to you. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So in case there was any doubt, Jesus is not talking about a physical rebirth. Okay, Your mother, bless her heart, can only give birth to flesh. That is, she can only give birth to another human that has all the same flaws and imperfections and sinful tendencies that we all share. But the Spirit, on the other hand, can give a new spiritual life. Jesus uses this phrase born of water and the Spirit. And I know that phrase can be, can be confusing. And there are different interpretations of that phrase, especially the part about being born of water. Uh, but I want to submit to you today that Jesus is making a reference here with that phrase to the cleansing of our sin when he says born of water and a reference to having a new Spirit-filled heart when he says, born of the Spirit. So, Jesus' point is that you need both a cleansing of your sin and a new Spirit-filled heart. That is what being born again means. That is what you need to be saved. Now, let me let me um, explain why I submit that to you. Why I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. First, He is not referring to baptism, and that's important because that is the most common alternative interpretation to this, particularly the part about being born of water. Now, a, a person would be hard pressed to make a case from Scripture. That baptism is necessary to being saved. In fact, I think scripture says quite clearly the opposite. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I do want to give you one example. Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is dying on the cross. And if you remember, there were two criminals crucified next to him. One of the criminals, while on the cross, repents. And believes in Jesus. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't add an additional condition to that. Today you will be with me in paradise if you could only get down from this cross and be baptized. Baptism is a wonderful public expression of faith, but it is not what saves you. The second reason I think that what Jesus means here is that you need both a cleansing of your sin and a new spirit-filled heart is that he is implying there is an Old Testament explanation of what he's saying. After Jesus' statement that you must be born of water and the Spirit, Nicodemus still doesn't understand. And uh, in verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Well, Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel. and What he teaches is the Old Testament, which is you know, the first part of the Bible, the part of the Bible that was written up to that point, up to the point where Jesus came into this world. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, this idea, Nicodemus, of being born of water and the Spirit, uh, it's in the Old Testament scripture, which you should know. So the question is, where is it? Well, there's, it's in a number of places, but the most uh, clearest reference, not the most clearest, the clearest reference in the Old Testament, is in Ezekiel chapter 36. The Jewish people had been punished by God for again, uh, for again turning away from him and turning toward the idols of this world instead of him. Uh, God had allowed them to be conquered, scattered, and many of them taken into captivity. And God used Ezekiel, one of one of a number of special spokespeople that God used to, to get his message to people. He used Ezekiel to tell the people of his plan for restoring them. In Ezekiel 36, starting verse 24, God says, For I will take you, you, the, you Jews, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you. I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then... You will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. God has never stopped loving us and showing his mercy to us. And here he is again doing that. He so wants us to love Him and to be with Him forever. But how can we do that if we're still carrying along all of the stuff that messes things up? If, uh, if you've ever been in a building where they manufacture integrated circuits or uh, disc drives or other components that go in a computer. Before you enter that building, you have to be cleansed. Uh, a lot of times it's, uh, it's, it's a vacuum system. You're, you're standing there and you feel like you're getting sucked away. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as a roller brush system. You put your feet in it and, it and it brushes off all the particles that are on your shoes and feet. They cannot have anything impure contaminating their environment. In a a similar way, we cannot be with our holy God when we are still spiritually impure from our sins. The cleansing of our sin, though, is not enough. It would be kind of like going through the cleansing process I just described and then being made to walk up a dirt path before getting into the building. You're just getting contaminated all over again. Jesus had told Nicodemus he had to be born of water and of the Spirit. And here God says through Ezekiel, he is going to put his Spirit in us and move us. He's first going to give us a new heart that can hold his Spirit. A new heart that is... Not hardened toward him, but but is soft, and moldable, and fillable. Then we will be his people, and we can finally be with him, our holy and loving God. Only then. So being born of water is is a purifying step. It's a. Um, a step in which we recognize that we need cleansing. God so loves us that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to do that for us, to take on all of our sin from each of us onto his shoulders. And being born of the Spirit, it's a renewing step a renewing step but the step that that begins with a that begins a new life with him God sent his holy spirit to become part of us to fill us and to cause us to not be a better person but to be a totally new spiritual creation So Jesus had, uh, had told Nicodemus that being religious doesn't save him, and instead he needs to be cleansed of his sin and renewed by the Spirit. Two great truths. Let me stop here. Let me just pause for a moment, because this is a good time to consider your own encounter with Jesus. Do did Jesus' words give you a jolt, too? If they, are, if, they, if they do, then hang on. He's got more to say. If they, if they do not, I just ask that you make sure to consider them fully. They are important, and they are absolute truth. Truly, truly, they are. Nicodemus clearly, he's struggling with these two great truths that Jesus just shared with him. Um, Besides his second time into your mother's womb question, we see his uh, how can these things be response in verse 9. And I I can imagine him uh, at this point asking that as he is trying to process this. He's he has always understood that the Jews are God's chosen people. The only birth he needed was to be born as a Jew. Being born as a Jew is what made him a child of God. What Jesus just told him is so contrary to what he was always so sure of and, um, and what he had devoted his whole life to. It is, it's a staggering Revelation to him. So he's got to be trying to process. I, I, I doubt it required Jesus' ability to know a man's heart, to know what was going on with, with Nicodemus at this point, because it was probably written all over his face. Uh, I imagine he was beginning to move from absorbing this, this jolt, this, this staggering blow, uh, to beginning to process it and wondering... I imagine he is beginning to wonder, how do I know if I am born of water and the Spirit? And if I am not, how do I make that happen? Jesus sees this, and and he says to Nicodemus in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't wonder and worry so much about how this happens or whether or not you're getting things right. Jesus goes on to explain. He says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I think Jesus is addressing those two questions here. First, how do I know? And you know from the effects the new birth produces. That's the first one. You know from the effects the new birth produces. When we want to know what way the wind is blowing, uh, we look for the effects of it, right? We, we, might, uh, we might listen for the whistle of the wind as it you know, works its way through different objects. Or we look how the flags are flying uh, or waving. Um, if you're a golfer, you might pick up a little grass and toss it into the air and see which way it goes. So that way, when your ball goes out in the woods, you can say, well, the wind shifted. (laughs) You can't see the wind. We look for the effects of it. And in the same way, we experience the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit through fruits the Spirit produces in our new life. Those include effects like love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We had recently an entire series on those fruits uh, completed. And just last week, Pastor Scott preached a message on what Jesus said in Matthew 7, which was that, that not everyone who says the right things will enter the kingdom of heaven but those that will can be recognized by their fruits. This was just last week. So I encourage you to go to, uh, to any or all of those messages. Uh, they're all available on our website, flyer.org, And if you, if you need any help with them, just check with the church office. Um, so, have I been born of water and the Spirit? Jesus is telling us that the fruits will give us the answer to that. The second uh, reason that, for um, the second question that Jesus is addressing here, being how do I make it happen? The answer to that is you don't. You don't make it happen. You don't control the wind. Yes, we make use of it by unfurling the sails of our boats, um, by planting wind turbines in areas where the wind tends to blow a lot. But if the wind chooses not to blow, we can't do a darn thing about it, right? Just like the wind blows where it wants, the Spirit works where God wants. Jesus is telling us that we don't save ourselves. God saves us. The passage from Ezekiel says that. If you noticed, it said, I, God, I will cleanse you. You don't cleanse yourself. I will cleanse you. And it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. You don't make that happen. So with that, I can, now I can imagine Nicodemus just ready to burst with desperation. Jesus is giving him answers, but none of them are the ones he wants to hear. And they're so contrary to what he always thought. And he utters the question, how can these things be? Uh, I want to see the kingdom of God. I thought I was doing everything necessary for that. I want to be with God. I do everything I can to please him. And now you're telling me I'm not going to see the kingdom of God unless I am born of water and spirit, and I can't control that. How can these things be? What am I supposed to do with this? You must be feeling that way. Perhaps some of you are too. Jesus knows that he is ready for the third great truth at this point. And he says to him Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Your role is to believe. Now, sure, uh, Nicodemus started this encounter by acknowledging um, that Jesus is from God. He said in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, notice a couple of things here. First, he says, we know, as if, He and the other Pharisees had a big conference. They decided collectively okay, he's from God. Regardless, we know sounds a whole lot less committal to me than I know. And second, notice he is not saying that we know you are the Messiah, instead, you are a teacher. And third, uh, notice he is not saying that we know you are God or the Son of God. Instead, you come from God, and God is with you. The demons that Jesus drove out of people he encountered acknowledged more about him than Nicodemus was acknowledging. Now, I'm not knocking Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a work in process. He's not yet a believer, but he is seeking. He came to Jesus, remember, in spite of of his position and uh, in spite of all the pressure in his life to believe otherwise. He came to Jesus. Uh, Now, Jesus is not telling him to believe carelessly or thoughtlessly He's telling them, in spite of all the testimony about me, you do not believe. In spite of the fact that I'm standing here in front of you and telling you who I am, and you've seen me and heard me, you do not believe. He says you are struggling because you do not believe. Paul writes a similar statement to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He writes, The natural person, that is a a non-believing person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I know that may sound like a catch-22. I don't believe because I don't understand. But... You're telling me I don't understand because I don't believe. Well, I think the key here is what Jesus is telling him to believe. What he's telling him is essential to believe. He's saying believe in Jesus. That that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, and and that he will do what he says he will do. That is, give us eternal life believe that, the rest works itself out as the Holy Spirit works in you. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that's what Jesus is telling him? Well, Jesus told Nicodemus in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness is a reference to um, another Old Testament book, the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Uh, the Israelites who had been led out of slavery in Egypt and were being led to the promised land by Moses uh, were, were traveling through the desert um, and they rebelled against God and against Moses. They turned from him and God punished them. Uh, by allowing them to be bitten by venomous snakes. And uh, in spite of their sin, though, and even though they were as good as dead from these snake bites, he provided a way for them to be saved. He, he, he instructed Moses to lift up this pole with a bronze snake on it um, and, and let the people know that if they accepted that they had sinned, against God and, that, and they demonstrated their faith in, his, in him and his ability to save them by looking to this pole, then God would do so. He would save them and they would live. Now this is scripture that Nicodemus would be, he'd be very familiar with. Um, so Jesus is telling Nicodemus that just as God Saved the Israelites from their sin in the desert by allowing them to repent and show their faith in Him. He, through Jesus, is providing a way for all people to believe in Him and be saved. And he's pointing out that Jesus is that way. And if that weren't enough to show Nicodemus that he need only believe, Jesus goes on in verse 16 and says, For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God. Did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Pastor John MacArthur puts it like this He says, The verdict for all of us has already been reached and we are all found guilty. The only thing in question is the sentencing. That's the way MacArthur puts it. Are we going to be sentenced to death because we do not believe? Or are we going to be born again into a new life by believing in the saving power of Jesus Christ? Now, my hope is that you encountered Jesus alongside Nicodemus this morning. And that that choice is clear. To live, we must be born again. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you you tell us the truth, that you are always there for us and ready to encounter us and tell us the truth. And we are grateful, Lord, that. The truth is that you love us, that you want us to be with you, and that you provide a way for us by being born again. Lord, I know there are those here that have already experienced that, and I thank you, Lord, for them, and I pray that the fruits of their lives will touch others. And I know there are some here today who are a lot like Nicodemus, who who probably feel came in today maybe feeling that they were okay and that they were religious enough. And Lord, maybe now, maybe now they're wondering or confused. And I, Lord, I pray for those those of us that are in that in that boat, Lord, that you will Give them the courage to come forward and, and talk, to, talk to me or talk to, to others here that are ready to listen. I pray that your spirit will work in their hearts and will bring them to a belief in your saving grace. And Lord, I know too that there are probably others who maybe hadn't given it a whole lot of thought. I pray that you will begin that process, that you will make a change in them, that you will give them a sense of urgency, and that you will work in their lives as well. Lord, we know now that we cannot We cannot save ourselves. And we we ask you to work in our lives, to purify us, cleanse us from our sinful nature, and to renew us through your Holy Spirit. We ask that. We pray all this in the name of your Holy Son, Jesus. Amen.